Welcome to Layers of Film, the show where mediocre people discuss masterful films the first Monday of each month. I am your host, Austin Killian, joined by my co-host, Big T. Big T, how's it going? Doing well. I have my Krabbies and my homemades, and I'm ready to talk about uh, Silver Linings Playbook. I was wondering, what are you, you texted me that. <laughs> you texted me that, and I was just like, what are you talking about? Because I hadn't watched the film again yet, and... Uh, so I had no idea what you were talking about. But yeah, you made it sound like it's riddled throughout the entire film. I don't... <laughs> it's mentioned like two or three times. Is it though? Yes. Man, I only caught it one time, I swear. But maybe I'm... Maybe I just... I yeah, it's know. mentioned a few times. And I'm a foodie, so... Nice. Who isn't? Yeah, that's true. I don't... Actually, you know what? I don't even really understand what that term means. Then you're not a foodie. But like, I don't... <laughs> what is a foodie supposed to be? I don't get it. Because it's not a food critic. No, we're just people who love food and think about food more than the average person. Okay. You know, well, I love to experience other cultures, food. When I travel, I like to try the food. I'm not a very adventurous eater, though, so it has to be within my very limited Can you be a foodie, range. then? Because in my head, as a foodie, you need to be able to enjoy just about anything. Maybe there are categories of foodies, and I do not fall under the adventurous foodie. Okay. I'm under the looking for a good time within my palate range foodie. Sweet. You know, do you ever think about like how like chef uh judges on competitions and stuff like that mm-hmm. do you ever think about how they have to eat garbage yeah they have to like well no no, not even that like they have to score these things or give their opinion on something based off of probably objective you know like terms or whatever i'm that's whatever i'm trying to figure out but like subjective criteria no, objective. Like, I feel like they have to make it objective because there's no way. You can't tell me that all of these fancy chefs like everything that they're trying. Mm. They need to objectively be able to taste it and be like, yeah, that's exactly what it's supposed to taste like. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I guess I don't watch the fancy cooking shows. I'm watching the cooking shows with people who don't know how to cook or... Well, like Chopped. Is Chopped one where you have to use like random ingredients? Maybe. I honestly have no idea. I don't watch I don't those know. shows very often anymore. But like, if I were, like, if I went to chef school or whatever, I can't imagine <laughs> chef school. Chef school. I can't imagine that I would like everything that I'm making. But you need yeah, to know true. how to make it, and you need to be able to taste it and objectively say, like, yeah, that has the right consistency, the right texture. Yes, this is the exact flavor I hate. <laughs> exactly. I want one chef judge to say that <laughs> this is exactly the way it's supposed to be. I, I hate yeah, it yeah. though. <laughs> Just like. This is great because I hate this dish. So you did it perfectly. <laughs> you did it perfect. I hate it actually more than normal. So it's even better. But you're still going home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're still exactly. I don't know. That's something that I think about. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a foodie because I think about food too. There you go. Just like all of you. I don't have a super diverse palate though. So mac and cheese all the way. Oof. What kind of mac and cheese? A craft mac and cheese. <laughs> I don't know. Lobster, lobster mac and cheese is good. Lobster. Yeah, you've never had that, like at a restaurant. I don't like seafood. Oh wow, you're not a foodie. You're out of your mind, bro. You, you can be a foodie and have preferences. You don't have to eat everything. You're in the child category of foodie. <laughs> okay, just because I don't eat seafood. <laughs> I'm just no, kidding. I'll eat lots of things, but that's good. Yeah, I don't know. It's whatever. 
All right, cool. Hey, first episode of year two, making it a big deal. One, well, I already two. made it a big deal last time that we were finishing off, and now I'm making it a big deal that we have. Yeah, do, would you say that this is like season two or? Yeah, you should market as season two in like the podcast yeah. stuff, just so we look more official. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe I should. Yeah. I didn't do any of that first, uh, quote unquote, season one. So maybe I'll start branching that out or breaking that off. By season three, we're gonna get our Patreon and a sponsorship deal with Toyota. <laughs> Why Toyota? I feel like you've mentioned that specific thing before, like three episodes really? ago. Yeah, why? Because um, I'm watching a TV show where they randomly bring in Toyota. Oh, okay. They'll be like, wow, that car ride here was so nice. I can't believe that the Toyota can get such good gas mileage. And then it'll go right into the thing, you know? That's great. It's like, wait, is this important to the plot or did I just try to get sold a Toyota? You did. You absolutely well. Yeah. No, that's exactly baked into the cake of the writing yeah. of the show or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole point. But it's like so abrupt that I'm just like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> it's like jarring. What the? Yeah. Hey, did you watch any good movies or anything in the past little while? Um, any good movies? Not besides Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, I, I only brought it up because I watched Top Gun Maverick. Ugh, I saw Top Gun too. <gasps> wait, what? You didn't like it? Here's the thing. I don't appreciate military propaganda. Okay. But if you take away the military propaganda, it was a decent movie. Just decent? The shots were amazing. Here's the thing, though. I, it's, I, it was already a downhill ride for me. Like, they had to, there was a lot of uphill work to do. So, gotcha. Even the fact that I didn't outright hate it. No, I mean, I think as a, as a movie, it was fine. It, it felt like, yeah. Okay, I get it. There were, in planes like yeah it's great (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i saw i mean i saw it with some friends and it was it was fine like i i I actually really enjoyed it the first one if you've ever seen that one there's some weird Mm. it's oh really you should have you should watch it it's just just for the sake of like being able to so you didn't even know any of the backstory behind like goose and all this nonsense i mean they give you enough detail that you know yeah, that's that's what true. What to expect, you know? But, but look, I barely wanted to watch one military propaganda movie, let alone two. So Saving Private Ryan's <laughs> off the table. Although I have heard though that um, the second one is a lot less military e than the first one. So Top Gun. Yeah, I mean it was an enjoyable. Yeah, Top Gun. Okay. I mean it was it was an enjoyable movie. It's not like I hated it, but yeah. it just was like it was negative for me going into it. So the gotcha. fact that it broke even, it's solid. Hey, I really liked. Uh, I really liked again, like the shots. I thought the acting was great. I thought the sound design was incredible. Like, I really liked the music and the yeah, and the music as well. But like, just the sound effects for like everything going on with the fighter jets. And from what I understand, like, yeah, uh, a lot of it was practical too. I'm pretty sure. Like, maybe they didn't go nearly as fast, but I swear, like in interviews, like Miles Teller even said that didn't he like hit his head on the top of a plane yeah he did and they kept that shot in you could see it in the movie yeah and i was looking for it i was like oh they did keep it in that's crazy also did you know have you seen the good place yeah a long time ago but yeah did you know you know manny jacinto in the good place who He, he plays jason who's jason it's been so long in the good place yeah so it's like the four of them right he's the one that was like the monk oh yeah right he's in that movie he's an extra is he? Yeah, but it was like filmed in 2018 and The Good Place 
came out around that time and stuff. So he's like just randomly in the back of this. Top Gun Maverick was filmed in 20... That's what I saw. It was filmed 2018, 2019. And then they had to wait a ton to... Because of COVID, yeah. Yeah, but that's what I saw. And But he's in it. He's like a background actor. But it's really weird because he's like pretty famous now. Decently famous. Has he been in anything else besides The Good Place? Yeah, he was in um, Nine Perfect Strangers. Oh, I haven't. I don't know what that is, actually. Um, it's like a Hulu. It's based off of a book. It's a Hulu series. It, it was okay, oh. but okay. yeah, he's in that. He's in something else, too. But I mean, he's he has name recognition, but he doesn't have any lines in Top Gun. So it's oh, kind wait. of funny. Nine Perfect Strangers. Is that with um, Melissa McCarthy? and Mc- Yep. Okay. I haven't seen it, yeah. but yeah, I remember seeing ads for it. And they're like in a kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's like a retreat. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, a good movie I did see, I just watched was Not Okay on Hulu. I don't know what that is either. It was really good. I liked it. I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. Are we going to cover it? Um, I actually would not be opposed to covering it. I, I enjoyed it. And there's like a lot of commentary to be had on it, I think, because it's about social issue stuff. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. All right. Cool. I'll have to check it out. A Hulu original? I think so, yeah. Okay. Nice. Cool. There's, oh man, there's so many shows and stuff. I, I actually just started diving in to Game of Thrones after so many years. Have of, you not watched it before? Never watched it. Yeah. I'm only two episodes in, but so far it's pretty good and really messed up. Super messed up. Yeah. This whole show is like terrible, <laughs> but it's really well done. I don't know. I really want to see Nope. Yeah. I think it just crossed 100 million made at the box office. Nice. I love Kiki Palmer. Who? Kiki Palmer. Is that Akili and the Bee? Uh, I think I think so. Yeah. I don't know if she's in that. I'm assuming she's in that, but she's <laughs> like a she was an original she was like in Disney Channel True Jackson or something. I don't know, but she's in a good she's in a series that I like. It's called Scream Queens. Oh yeah. I saw that for like a little bit. Ugh. Scream Queens is like right up my alley. Kiki Palmer. She's not That's the wrong I don't know who that is. Never mind. I don't, oh, sorry. I don't. This it's I'm I'm on IMDb, but it's not actually showing. That was a nobody. How do you spell Kiki? What? K E K E. Oh, okay. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Q I E Q I E. No, I did key or sorry K I K I. But that probably this makes yeah this makes more sense. Yeah yeah that's the same. Yeah, Kayla and the Bee. I think that was like the first thing I ever saw her, and she's like the main actress in that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to see. I really like Jordan Peele's stuff. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I still haven't seen his first two movies, and I need to watch those still. Oh, you should definitely watch them. I know. Yeah. I've heard they're great, and I think I heard from what people have told me, Get Out is better than Us, but both are great, right? Yeah, that I would agree with that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I definitely want to watch both because it's interesting that the sketch comedy guy is like, mm-hmm. you know, just making horror films that are yeah. critically acclaimed, and I don't know, it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. So good on him. But yeah, I want to see that. So hopefully the next time we meet, I'll have seen it. Nice. And I can spoil it for you and our thousands of listeners. Duh. <laughs> You're such a great person. <laughs> All right. Well, with, without further ado, let's spoil this next movie for all the people who are listening to the episode that haven't watched it. We are, of course, covering Silver Linings Playbook, released November 16th, 2012. The synopsis is after a stint in a mental institution, former teacher Pat Solitano moves back in with his parents and tries to reconcile with his wife. Things get more challenging when Pat meets Tiffany, a mysterious girl with problems of her own. 
directed and written by David O. Russell, composed by Danny Elfman. The big actors are Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, Jackie Weaver, and no. Oh, crap. I looked it up beforehand to make sure I knew how to say it. Anupam, I think. A- Anupam? Anupam? I don't know. Uh, and, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, I, I want to say it right. Anupam Kerr, I think. Do you want to Google it real quick? <laughs> it's all right. Chris Tucker uh, as well. The budget was $21 million, and the box office earnings was $236.4 million. And you can stream it now on AMC Plus. So if you haven't watched it yet and you want to listen, yeah, AMC Plus. Who has AMC Plus? No one. Maybe people do. Actually, my coworker has AMC Not Plus, really. and she says that it has great TV shows on it. Well, yeah, but I feel like a lot of those TV shows are on Netflix. Yeah, I have no idea. Except they're probably a whole season behind. So, yeah, maybe it's worth it. Don't I don't know. know. There are, I mean, yeah, AMC has great shows. Just add it to your list of streaming platforms. I can't. I don't think that one's like a. When it gets to the point of like actual channels having their own streaming, then I. That's where I draw the line. You know what I mean? That's when you start to pirate. Yeah. <laughs> no. I just buy it. <laughs> what are you talking about? I just buy the movie. Anyway. Hey, that earned a pretty good amount, though, for $21 million. Nice. Rated R film as well. Hard to come by. Now, we had both seen this movie already, mm-hmm. so we both knew if we liked it or not. I can't remember if you said it last time. Did you like you liked this film? I liked this more the second time I watched it. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Why is that? Just a different frame of mind or what? I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe just a different frame of mind. I don't remember the first time that I watched it. Mm. And I, I don't remember, I don't think I disliked it the first time that I watched right. it. But maybe it's because I was sort of watching it with a more critical eye this time of like messaging and meanings and stuff. Yeah. But I thought that it was, I mean, it's not like a stellar movie. In in my opinion, it's like a good movie. But yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I enjoyed watching it. It was fun to watch again. Interesting interesting how about you i don't know i'm for some reason there's something about this movie where i'm just like man what a masterpiece this movie is so good really oh yeah i absolutely and i watched it for the first time i think pretty much when it came out i i watched it on Mm -hmm. demand or whatever later but i just remember i think it was more at a time where i think i really started understanding my own like mental hardships and stuff like that with yeah depression and anxiety and i i think that's that's probably plays into a lot of it this really like mm-hmm. hit me hard i think when i watched it for the first time so i, I really connected with it and then uh i'm kind of going through stuff right now a little bit so watching it again now it, it's hitting me just as hard as the first time so i think oh interesting so i think it's just i don't know there's just something about this film that i think is it really just hits it perfectly for me and it just like perfectly describes what i feel like a lot of people go through in the world is there like i'm, I'm curious to know what you th- like what are your major takeaways from this film yeah, I think my major takeaways, I don't know, it's there's like a lot of stuff I do want to talk about. I would yeah. say like the the main thing is like about mental health and never having someone's full story. Mm. Uh, and like and I want to talk about that for sure, but yeah. I think one thing that this film does really really well that I loved that I didn't catch the last time I watched it yeah. is you obviously are following Pat the whole time, right? Like it's his story, but it does such a good job of giving you little sneak peeks, little windows into everyone else's lives Mm -hmm. around him where you're like, that right there is a whole story that you could explore as well. Mm -hmm. 
And so I really like that they do that where we're following Pat, we're following his hardships, we're following sort of his journey, his goals and stuff. But every time he interacts with another character, not every time, but a lot of times, um, especially his friends and family, you can see them having their own struggles too. Yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting that the, the secondary characters feel really fleshed out to me. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, you don't really need to get a lot of their backstory without knowing or having a really good idea of, of just, yeah, their struggles on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I think what's most interesting about this movie is just the fact that Pat, I, maybe you touched on it a second ago, but like Pat gets out of the, uh, mental hospital right mm-hmm. and everyone looks at him like he's the oh my gosh like you finally made it out or whatever like hopefully like oh, you know what i mean everyone's kind of looking at him like this sad story and all that stuff that he needs to figure all this stuff out and they're constantly worried about him and obviously he has you know some tendencies and some issues that like they do need to monitor and make sure that he's not like going mm-hmm. too far because it, it does get pretty serious in a couple of spots but everyone just kind of looks at him and sort of is judging him based off of mm-hmm. actually going to a hospital to get help for this. Obviously it's court mandated, but still it's, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like they're looking down at him and, and, but yeah, just like you said before, everyone has their own thing. That's my biggest takeaway. Yeah. Literally like there, I don't think there's a single character in this entire movie that doesn't have something that they need to actually address, you know, mentally. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that it's done really well. I think you see it really really well with his parents especially Mm -hmm. because he interacts with them so much but particularly the dad I think you see that a lot where yeah like Pat is sort of stigmatized for you know quote unquote having a mental illness and having to go to a you know a hospital and stuff but then you see his dad oh oops (laughs) you see his dad and he has I mean you can't really compare mental health but he has a lot of his own issues as well right he has a lot of superstition and what would some people would might classify as like ocd in relation to the football team and the sports betting and everything but like that goes undiagnosed and unchallenged and sort of just accepted as like oh the quirky dad who like has his own thing you know but he literally got banned from a stadium because he got so violent you know like so yeah I, i really like that you get a lot of this backstory on the characters and you get to see mental health in different lights, in different situations, with different perspectives and stuff. So I like that it's not just this very stereotypical one-dimensional view of like, oh, this is what mental health is and whatever. Like, I feel like it does a really good job of showing the complexities that come with mental health and its intersection with like societal views and family and all that different stuff. Yeah, for sure. And and I feel like most, if not all of the characters have something that they're super obsessed with with as well right and yeah i think Mm -hmm. the two biggest examples of that for sure are pat and pat senior i would say and i Mm -hmm. mean there's probably something that goes along with like the genetics of that as well because because pat senior specifically even even when he needs to put his own stuff aside and he needs to like be there for his son he always brings the football games into it no matter what right yeah it's 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 he's doing like bookkeeping for it that's the only way that he wants to spend time with his son is through football. There's mm-hmm. no other way for him to spend time with him in his mind. Even when Pat is, uh, I think it's at a scene where he's like super exhausted later on and he's asleep on his bed. And then his, his dad, Pat Sr. comes up and, you know, asks him or wakes him up or whatever and wants to see if he'll watch the game with them. And then there's that 
beautiful, I think, emotional, you know, moment that he has with his son where he feels like maybe he kind of failed him as a father a little bit. Mm -hmm. Even in a moment where like he needed to probably put that stuff aside and be able to just be there for Pat. Maybe not Pat necessarily, but even when he's really trying to connect to him, he still brings football into it. So it's as mm-hmm. like the biggest to me actually he has more of a problem than than Pat Jr. Yeah. does. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And I definitely noticed that. I guess the question I would ask you is like, Hmm. why do you think he brings football into it? Like, why do you think he can't just have sort of a straightforward conversation with his son? I don't know. It's so hard to say because in my head, just the fact that he's so obsessed with it and it comes up in conversation so much. I mean, I'm not super like well-versed in different like, you know, mental disorders and stuff like that. But to me, that seems more like a like something that would have to do with Asperger's or something like that. Although he doesn't display a lot of the, yeah, I don't think he doesn't display a lot of like the tells. I see. So you're saying it was like a hyperfixation yeah. that he's having. Yeah, sure. There you go. Yeah. You'd probably know more than me. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Or you'll have better terms than me or better language. I'm not going to be very well with that. Yeah. That's what being married to a therapist, I get some, <laughs> some language, but I'm also right. not very good at it. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I agree with you. Like every time he talks to his son, like football gets brought up and every time he tries to spend time with his son, like football gets brought up. And Mm. I was trying to figure out like, okay, is he bringing up football to his son because he's obsessed with football or, and he's unable to talk about anything but football or is he using football sort of as a crutch to be able to spend time with his son? Because like, there's been a lot of studies on like masculinity and, relationship between men and like a lot of the studies essentially say that like men have a really hard time building relationships with other men without some sort of activity involved like just the way that men are socialized whereas with you know women the way that there's like the way that women are socialized in american society is like they can sort of sit and talk for hours and not have to do anything but men we often are socialized to have to be you know watching us sports or playing sports or playing a video games right. or you know going to a bar or whatever like we can't just there has to be something in between us and the man that we you know are having a friendship with or whatever it may be mm. so i do think that there's a lot of like hyperfixation on Pat Senior's part with football, but I also wonder how much of it is like him doing his best to have a relationship with his son using the tools that he has at his disposal while like not having really been socialized to build like those relationships. I don't know if that's making sense. I, I, I mean, no, it totally makes sense, but I feel like both are both are at play there. Yeah, I think both yeah. are valid for sure. For sure. Like, I think it's totally intertwined. I think he's so hyperfixed that he can't mm-hmm. find other ways to relate to people except through football. Yeah. And I think that the movie does a really good job of making that very nuanced, right? Yeah. Like, it's not just this one depiction of it and it's sort of, that's the way it is. But there's lots of, like, complexities to the relationships to people's own sort of mental health. So, yeah. yeah, I think it does a really good job. Although, so there's actually a couple of things with Pat Sr., he, I mean, well, number one, like Robert De Niro does such a great job, but Ugh, I love Robert De Niro. No, he's amazing every time. And the thing about Pat Sr. is I feel like he's so hyperfixed on football. That's like, 
that's that's his passion in life. Apparently, I guess I don't really know her bookkeeping. I really don't. Or maybe I think starting a restaurant apparently kind of is a passion. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, betting in general. I don't. The Eagles maybe is his passion, right? Obviously, we learn about that later on because he's punched out like hundreds of fans or whatever <laughs> from the stadium <laughs> because he's so passionate about the Eagles. But that hyperfixation comes into play. Also, I I feel like and. I don't know. I can like I kind of look at him as a villain sometimes because he's not properly there for his son, but also I can sympathize or empathize, I don't remember which one's which, with him as well because when you have someone in your family that's quote unquote like like you know mentally like what's the word? I don't know, but like crazy, I guess. I don't know. Like if they're mentally crazy. Like having mental like having mental health. Yeah, when they issues. have mental health issues things that you at least to a degree where you don't understand that's that's probably what mm-hmm. i'm really trying to look for is you don't at least i feel this way i feel like a lot of times when there's something that i don't really understand something that i haven't had a lot of exposure to i don't know how to react to it and so i just kind of shut down a little bit and i just kind of like yeah. put it off obviously that's not very constructive but at the same time like i literally can't find the words to say to figure out how to like relate to you yeah you just don't even know how to navigate the situation exactly which like sucks and it's actually you know been an issue in my life or whatever it's caused problems and it's just something that like maybe i need to work on and understand and learn better or how to handle things but like that's kind of how i look at pat senior though like he has this son that's gone to a mental hospital that's like this new degree of 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 mental health, you know what I mean? That he hasn't seen and also coming from an era where you don't do that, right? You just, you figure it out, you toughen up, you, yeah. whatever. And so he, I could just, I can kind of see him <laughs> in both lights a little bit where he's just sort of the villain, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I understand why yeah. he has such a hard time because he doesn't know how to handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I think that he's doing the best with what he has, mm-hmm. but what he has is not very helpful at no. times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not at all. But that's the interesting thing, though. It's portrayed so well because they could have so easily just made the dad this like really callous, uncaring father figure, and like, oh yeah, he's this clear villain, you know. Right. But they do a really good job of weaving in like the complexities of interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. and family dynamics and generational trauma in a sense. Like they do a really good job of like you were saying, you know, he's a villain at times, but he's also like a hero at times. And yeah. like there he's not just this really superficial character. Like he's very dynamic and very complex. And he does care about his son, obviously. Because mm-hmm. there's one and he and he watches him. He looks at him, right? Because there's there's a scene where Pat has just started doing the dance lessons with Tiffany. And Pat Senior is just like, whoa, you're just so up, 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 right? He says that like a few times, just like, I don't know. I'm just, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that like, are you taking the right dosage of your medication? You're taking too many. <laughs> yeah, you're taking too, I would be <laughs> flat on the floor, dad, if I was taking too many. Yeah, so like obviously... Uh, yeah, like you said, like with the limited amount of like knowledge that he has and 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 tools that he has to be able to handle this kind of stuff, like he's he, you could still see that he he does want to make sure that Pat's like doing what he's supposed to. Yeah. If Pat's running too close to the school or wherever he's not supposed to be, Pat Senior's like, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. Like you need to, mm-hmm. you know, stay home. Like whatever. I don't know. Whatever he thinks that 
I guess would be best for him. But he, you could tell that he cares. I would say that there's there's really only ultimately one part that I would think would make him more of a villain or like kind of like a bad person <laughs> or a bad dad in the scene is when the Eagles lose that pivotal game and he just he's calling his son a loser he's totally dragging him down and yeah oh like that that scene is heartbreaking yeah like obviously there's a lot of emotion behind it because he puts so much on that game but for some reason he puts it all on pat yeah and i think it's really interesting because earlier in the movie you have the scene where pat has sort of a manic episode and he ends up hitting his mom and then getting in a physical right. fight with his dad, right? So I think that the scene where Pat Sr. sort of verbally abuses his son mm -hmm. is a really nice, you know... It's so nice. Like, <laughs> narratively nice okay. um, parallel to the physical abuse. Because, I again, you, you see Pat and the stigma he's going through with having gone to a mental health institution and how it's such, like, a big deal... And then you juxtapose that with Pat Sr., who doesn't have that same stigma, but he's just as, uh, like, dangerous to his family in a sense. Like, he's very verbally abusive, just mm -hmm. like Pat was physically abusive in his manic episode. So I think it's really interesting, like, the commentary of what's not said, of what's left unsaid. Like, yeah. look how this father was verbally abusive to his family because of this... Uh, obsession he has with football right. and then like what is what's different than pat's manic episode when he was obsessed about the wedding i think it's a wedding album or the wedding video he wants yeah. to watch like how are these things any different like why is pat being so stigmatized for this thing is the police called on him and he gets you know all of these institutional barriers thrown in his way but like the dad can go ahead and do this and that's is that is that is that not the same thing like i think there's a lot of interesting commentary there to be said and even more interesting to me is like it's not it's kind of not the same thing. They're totally on different levels in my mind. Football is not nearly as important as this guy's marriage. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so the obsession over his marriage and it crumbling apart and all that stuff, I feel like is more yeah. relatable than just, oh, the football game was lost. Yeah, but I think, I mean, I think too from from us when we're outside of these, I don't know if you would call them manic episodes, but yeah. these episodes of like really strong obsession, we can be like, oh yeah, this is more important than mm, that. Sure. But something that I think is really interesting is like external logic doesn't really dictate the reaction, True. you know, like yeah. us outside of the moment, we're like, oh yeah, this isn't that big of a deal or whatever. But I think you see it really well when Tiffany comes in I think after the whole verbal abuse thing and the way that she like quote unquote rationalizes with Pat senior is by using, I mean, what you and I would call like mumbo jumbo sort of like logic, right? She's like, Oh, he was with me when they won and he was with me when they won again or whatever. And then yeah. you see Pat senior, like it makes sense to him, like to, in his mind, that is rational. And so yeah. I think you, it's really interesting to see how you have all these really strong external reactions. And then as viewers were like, this doesn't really make sense. Or why is he freaking out so much? But then the solution also doesn't make that much sense as well. And I think that that in itself is sort of commentary on mental health and mental health issues in general of like, look, none of this really like quote unquote makes sense, yeah. but like it's happening and we have to deal with it one way or another. Do, do we ever get what Tiffany ever like did for work? Do we know? She just talks about an office incident where she like sleeps with everyone in the office. But I don't think we know. We don't really. She know. gets fired a lot from jobs, right? 
either fired a lot or she got fired from that job that she was talking about in the film. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. It's just I don't know. I would be interested to know I don't know. She just seems really Okay, there's like a couple of things about Tiffany that's interesting to me. Number one, like she's just very perceptive, I think. For sure. Like she really she's probably the best tooled person out of everyone to be able to navigate these people right like even though she's got stuff that she's dealing with she every every time i watch this movie and she's every time that she's talking to pat she she can recognize when he's getting fixed on something and then she just goes right into it or whatever with him and Mm -hmm. follows it but also i feel like she's really manipulative as well you feel yeah okay i wasn't sure if like i was just putting that in my head but she seems like she manipulates pat a lot yeah yeah i mean i think the whole scene where she fakes the letter from his wife right that's very manipulative you know well yeah that's super manipulative yeah but yeah i think that she is definitely does not follow the same social rules that everyone follows um, especially when it comes to interacting with pat right a lot of people sort of treat pat with kid gloves on right but she sort of doesn't really care. And I think that she feels justified in that because what her her life is as bad as Pat's, you know, sure. in that sense. Or she has the same stigma around her that Pat has. And so because of that, she's able to be more candid and blunt mm, with him. Yeah. Like they're both viewed as these broken birds or whatever. Like with, or, yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, well, we can relate. Or I mean, and even Pat voices this where Pat thinks that he's like, I don't remember the words, but he's like more stable than she is or less crazy. I think yeah. she might use the term. Yeah. They use crazy a lot in the movie. And so I, th- I think that also plays into it, right? Where it's like pity if it's from somebody who's more stable than Pat, but coming from Tiffany, who he sees as less stable, it's like allowed, you know, I just think there's a lot of interesting, like interpersonal dynamics going on of like, who's allowed to say what to who and like what words you have to use like there's just a lot of stuff built into this that's really impressive oh yeah for sure super complex characters like all the way around Mm -hmm. i love their relationships though like the two of them for as as manipulated as it as it is to like because we find out even later dolores the mom right pat's mom Mm -hmm. i think was and even like pat senior was aware of it but he wasn't happy about it Dolores like called Tiffany, I guess, and told her like, "Hey, my son runs that route. You should you should run into him." And then maybe mm-hmm. like, which is interesting, like even the the like the beginning of that relationship, like, because Pat probably would have just left left Tiffany. You know what I mean? Like, w- would have never thought about her again. Maybe yeah. once or twice or whatever, but wouldn't have tried to get to know her or anything after that. But for some reason, Pat's mom, Dolores, like. Let's let's try to make this thing happen between Tiffany. Yeah. Why do you think that even is? Yeah, I think that, I mean, this also goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. These are people who don't have a lot of experience navigating mental health, mm. trying to do their best with the tools that they have to fix a very complex situation. And I think for the mom, she sees, okay, my son is obsessed with his wife, like who because she cheated on him, got him sent to a mental health institution. If I can get him to stop fixating on his wife, maybe Mm. these problems that only popped up because his wife cheated on him, maybe those problems will go away. So she maybe just sees Tiffany as a solution to that of like, oh, if he can, you know, spend time with this girl and fall in love with her, then 
maybe it'll like fix his obsession, which will then fix his mental health. Well, also like I don't know. Yeah, even even Doctor Patel like thinks that Pat should go see Tiffany more or whatever, you know. But it's interesting. Even I don't. I don't think. Do you think this is like totally ethically like wrong the way that Doctor Patel handle it? Because I thought it was the weirdest. Maybe I don't know. I don't. I haven't gone to therapy in a very long time, so I don't know if the rules have changed. <laughs> but like, it's just it's interesting to me that even Doctor Patel kind of manipulates Pat into oh for sure getting with Tiffany, which obviously has ended up being good for him. But it's like, well, if you if Nikki hears like you know or gets wind that you're doing good because th- it's through Tiffany. And Veronica, then you'll get Nikki back. Yeah. Well, no, I think his justification is like, if you help Tiffany out, it'll make you look good to Nikki. Yeah, right. Right. That's kind of his justification. But I mean, that was one of my questions is like, okay, is that really what the doctor's thinking? Or is he just trying to get Pat to stop fixating on Nikki? Well, yeah, you it's know. definitely to to stop Pat from fixating on on Nikki. But is that is that right or wrong for it? a therapist or whatever to or a psychologist i don't know to do that you know what i mean that seems messed up um yeah i mean i don't i don't know you'll get nikki back if you help tiffany okay yeah you're right i should go talk to tiffany (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think that it definitely opens up a lot of sort of gray areas (laughs) i mean i would probably assume in general you shouldn't lie to or manipulate your clients (laughs) right but yeah i mean there is something to be said that like Pat is very much fixated on getting back with Nikki. Like that is the driving motivation for him throughout this movie. But we see that it's very unhealthy for him. And so the people around him are trying to help him cope with his mental health and his life changes in the best way that they can. Mm. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it was right for him to do that, but I mean, throughout the film, it's also just kind of like a movie or whatever. So you can suspend your disbelief, but, uh, I would say that it ultimately was the right call, I guess. I mean, who knows where that relationship goes later on, but... And even Pat... I mean, Pat makes the decision because he he finds out that Tiffany was manipulating him through the letter, and all, mm-hmm. right? So even then, he's like, well, whatever. Like, I'm, fine. Like, I'm in love with her, so who cares? <laughs> it's fine, yeah. I suppose. Do you think they end up staying together, though? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I don't don't know. It's interesting. I think one of the things that's interesting is you you mentioned like, oh, well, obviously it's good for him because he's like in a better headspace or whatever at the end of the movie. But I think that it's interesting that when he's talking to Nikki at the end, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm on my meds. You know, I'm doing well. Like, whereas throughout the most of the movie, he's sort of like, no, I don't want to take medicine. I don't like it. It's bad for me. Like, there's a lot of stigma, right, about having to take medicine to for your mental health. But at the end of it, when he's in a better headspace, he has shed that stigma of mm. t- taking medicine. Like, not only is he taking his medicine, but he's also, like, okay admitting that to other people. Mm. So I wonder how much of that is, like, okay, how much of of this positive improvement is Tiffany in his life and how much of it is just, like, the fact that he's sort of finally coming to terms with dealing with his mental health in, like, what's we consider, like, appropriate ways. You know, he's finally taking the medicine that he needs and he's sort of moved away from the stigma of his mental health 
you know, so I, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, true. I mean, maybe it could be just about anyone. I think it kind of had to be Tiffany, though, because she was the only one that, like we've already said, that was able to, or that actually talked to him like a... That understood him. And understood him, exactly. It definitely understands him because she was properly... Like, I feel like you have to really understand someone to perfectly manipulate them. So... <laughs> yeah. And also, too, like, you see this throughout the movie, but both of them lack social filters <laughs> yeah. that most other people have yeah. um for tiffany it seems like it's a more of a result of her widowhood sure like she seems like she just doesn't care oh, this horrible thing happened to me i just don't care yeah. anymore whereas with pat it seems more of like a just like a um a genetic thing yeah <laughs> you know? right but you definitely see that they do not have they don't follow the same social rules or social sort of cues that other people follow so yeah. I think mean, that also helps them sort of grow closer together. Yeah, for sure. But like throughout the film, you can really always see like anytime Pat is fixated on Nikki, that's when episodes really like come out. And obviously like yeah. it it starts with, I mean, who knows if he had more episodes even before the, uh, the cheating, but like it, it starts at least with the film with the, him finding his Nikki cheating on him. And then it happens with the song later on with the doctor's visit. And then he mm-hmm. just hears a song every once in a while. And I feel like the last time we even get that song and, and he has an episode towards it is outside that movie theater. I think yeah. when, after the date at the diner and Tiffany's the only one that was able to really get him to like calm down. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that hmm. because the music's happening in his head. Yes. Right. And she knows that it's happening in his head. Yeah, she could see it on his face. Right? Which I thought was really interesting because you, we don't really get a whole lot of conversation with other people besides Tiffany and his doctor about how this song comes up for him when he's getting stressed out or whatever. I just thought that that was such a subtle detail and such a really nice nuance to the movie where, like, she knows Pat so well. She understands, like, what he's going through so well that her way of soothing Pat and sort of bringing him back down is her being aware of what's actually going on, you know? So whereas the dad or the mom try to fix him by saying, you know, watch football with us or, you know, here's this nice girl I want you to date. She's like, I know what's actually going on. I'm going to like talk you through this. And so there's like a level of understanding and empathy from Tiffany that you don't get from any of the other characters. Um, And it might be because they've both been through some really traumatic events. And so they kind of understand each other. And I mean, I don't know, but that's kind of the, the message that I get. I mean, yeah, at the very least, like, Pat also really understands Tiffany as well. Like, even though, like, he can understand that she just can't help it sometimes. Like, when she just calls someone over to have sex with them, and he's there on the doorstep that one day, I think he wanted to give the letter uh, to Nikki to Tiffany, right? And mm-hmm. there's just like this random guy that shows up at the doorstep. <laughs> hey, no, uh, Tiffany texted me. Like, I swear, it's like she doesn't do that anymore, dude. Like, let's just take you back to yeah. your car, blah, blah, blah. Like, like taking advantage yeah. of these widowed, like, girls or whatever. I don't remember everything that he says, you know? Yeah. But he's like, he's fighting for Tiffany. And you could see on Tiffany's face that this really meant a lot to her, you know? Mm-hmm. That, uh, because she chases him down later and it's like, okay, well, like, you need to do something for me or or maybe that was earlier i don't know anyway but she's really appreciative of yeah of of him defending her yeah for sure and i think part of the reason why tiffany is attracted to pat just as like a friend or as just in a relationship is because like you said both of them are seen sort of as like broken and 
you can tell that Tiffany is aware that people see her as broken and it really bothers her and she like hates that label. And so when she's with Pat, she doesn't have to feel sort of that pity and that stigma. But again, I think it's... You could be real. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because Pat and Tiffany have this sort of social label of broken. But again, you see all these other people in their lives that are going through things just as badly as they are, maybe not as publicly though, and they don't have that same label. So I think it's just a lot of interesting commentary on like the way that sort of society sees people who have had these more public traumatic events or whatever. I think it's really telling too with the friend when you meet him at the dinner party and he like takes him to the room. Ronnie? Yeah. And he's like, I'm up to here. I'm choking. I'm like, you can just see like the panic in his friend's eyes, but that's never really addressed much after that, you know? Yeah. I don't even, that was something that I wanted to know a little bit. Like, I don't know. He must not communicate to his wife whatsoever what he's feeling, like at all, because Veronica constantly is just like, apparently at least, just wanting more things for the house. He says it, and then obviously they have all these frivolous things like we have we have a dock in every single room, and we could put a iPod in it and play baby noise. It literally a dock just to be able to play baby noise. It's like so so outdated too. It's yeah, that's true. <laughs> Super. Yeah, that stuff is always dumb to me. It's like it's not even gonna yeah. be a thing in the next ten years. Yeah, but I think too, it's like we don't really know. Like maybe he has communicated to it. You think maybe so? He has communicated. I, I mean. I I would I would say guess based on the demographics that he's based in I would guess he has probably does not talk about his feelings. <laughs> right. I would say and again this sort of goes back to what we talked about earlier where like these sort of traditional expectations for men of like hey you have to provide and you have to make sure that you have a comfortable home and like I mean I felt this before too in my own marriage of like I if I'm not being like if I'm not providing financially in a way that I feel like I should be that messes with my own sort of self-esteem and my own Mm. stress levels and anxiety and that's something that like I've had to work through and unlearn because society especially like conservative society that I grew up in was very much like the man is the breadwinner the man has to provide for the family provide for his wife and so I've had to unlearn that stress but I've felt times like that before where I feel like the financial burden falls on my shoulders and Mm. I feel like I'm up to my eyeballs as well. But luckily I've been able to unlearn a lot of that and learn to communicate better about those things and work sort of alongside my, my wife. But I can see for someone who comes from a background where you like, don't talk about your emotions. Men are supposed to provide for the family. If your family wants something, you need to like get it. And you feel like a failure if you aren't making enough money to get X thing or whatever. So I could definitely see how there's a lot of complicating factors that, just make it so that he just clams up and is like, I can't deal with the stress, but I don't know how to like get out of this. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can relate to that sometimes too. I mean, this is the, <laughs> we're kind of dealing with it right now. Just trying to f- uh, figure out some financial stuff or whatever. Uh, Cause my, yeah. my wife is like finishing up nursing school. So we got to like get that stuff figured out. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the difference here is that Ronnie just keeps giving her what she wants <laughs> instead of like actually figuring out the finances. He's just like, well, I just got to make more money so I can keep buying her more things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that's yeah. Ronnie's solution is like, if she wants it, I'll just work harder to get it, but that's not sustainable. And he's no. at the point where he's especially with a kid. 
yeah, he's no longer able to maintain that level of input. But if he's not communicating that to Veronica and she thinks everything's hunky-dory, you know, of course she's going to want more if she thinks she can have more. But yeah, there's just like a lot to be said there. But again, he, Ronnie doesn't have the stigma of, you know, quote unquote being broken because that's a lot more private. Man. Like he, maybe his wife doesn't even know that he's going through all of that. Yeah. But like, it makes me wonder, like, it's interesting because Pat, okay. Ronnie takes the advice at the end, right. To not throw away a marriage or whatever, based off of what Pat said, like you should never throw away a marriage, but that was only said with this fixation on, on Nikki. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like I kind of, because if he has, if Ronnie has to work more in order to give Veronica everything that she needs, then he's hardly at home probably, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, where's the relationship at? Like, I guess Veronica just doesn't care about their actual relationship. She just wants more things. (laughs) And so to me, that would be like, is the, is the marriage really worth it at that point? I don't like, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like they are, sorry, maybe like Ronnie really cares, obviously, because he's giving Veronica everything that she wants, but she doesn't seem to care too much about him if he's never around you know what I mean? And she just gets everything that she wants. Yeah, I think it's hard to ascribe motives and stuff to characters when we don't really know. But True. I mean, it's very possible that Veronica is like, my husband's never home. So at least I want to have a nice house. And so she asks mm. for a nice house and then he's never home because he's working to get her a nice house. And if neither of them are communicating their needs to the other person, then it's sure. just going to be this sort of cycle of frustration. So maybe at the very end, when it seems like things are on the up and up between Ronnie and Veronica, they finally sat down and Ronnie was like, I'm stressed out about having to work all the time to provide this nice house for you and maybe veronica was like i don't even care about having a nice house i just want to have you home like uh, yeah. i mean we, we don't we don't know what happened behind the scenes but true i think that communication in any relationship is key yeah. and you clearly see that that is not happening between veronica and ronnie no not at all and yeah i actually i think what you're saying is uh you're bringing up a good point because sh- uh when they have when sh- they, yeah when they have tiffany and pat over for dinner Things are kind of getting weird and and Tiffany, you know, decides that she wants to leave or whatever. And then Veronica's just like, I just wanted to have a nice dinner. Maybe that's maybe that's the small little sliver, like the window into this that we're getting where she does just want to have a nice normal dinner without, you know, Mm -hmm. or with her husband and with people or whatever. Maybe she's feeling lonely. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that there's definitely like a lot of stuff that you could potentially say about it. I also thought it was interesting during that dinner scene that. They were expected to like dress up because I've been to like dinner parties with other adults and other couples and I've never had to like wear a suit and tie before. Yeah. Um, And I don't know if that's just like the age bracket or the other like demographic of it, but I definitely get this vibe from Veronica that she wants to present herself in a certain way mm. to the to society and she sees that as like oh what if i have a nice house or if we wear fancy clothes to having a fancy dinner party but like what she really wants is just like connection yeah. and being seen by other people but yeah i don't know i just think there's like a, like i said there's a lot of little windows you see into people and their problems and their lives but it's really interesting that they don't really ever, they sort of, the writers sort of open it for you. You get little, your little peek and then they close it and you get to sort of speculate on 
okay, like what's going on? What's happening here? What does this mean? Yeah. It's, it's like, she's obsessed with being viewed as upper class or whatever. It's interesting mm-hmm. for sure. I, I wanted to ask you this though. Uh, why, if she's been so outwardly like negative towards Pat, Veronica, right. And he shows up in a Jersey to dinner and she outwardly says like out loud says like not to dinner, like, or like Ronnie's like, oh, it's an awesome jersey. And he's like, well, not for dinner. Mm-hmm. Like she, you know, she's like, she's obviously, you know, looking down on Pat or or just kind of giving him a hard time, but not in a fun way. And why do you think, like from, from all that, like with all this negativity towards him, why do you think she even invited Pat to dinner in the first place? Was it more for Ronnie? Was it for Tiffany? I thought it was as an attempt to get Pat and Tiffany together. Okay. That's what I thought too. I wasn't sure though. Yeah, because it makes sense because they don't tell. No, he they tell him that Tiffany's gonna come last second, right or no? Yeah, like it's the night of the dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you know from the first time we see Ronnie, Veronica, and Pat interact that Veronica doesn't like Pat. So it's like, why would she invite him to dinner unless there was an ulterior motive? Yeah, exactly. And I think it was yeah either to get them romantically involved, Pat and Tiffany, or to just get them sort of codependent on each other i don't know i would assume it's to like get them romantically involved because um i think a lot of times people are like oh my sister's broken my friend is broken like maybe they'll make a good couple or even more not selfishly but like oh i don't want to have to be the only one like dealing with this like my sister's widowhood like maybe pat can sort of take some of Tiffany's time away so I don't have to deal with her all the time. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was wondering uh, for sure. And actually, now that I think about it, because Tiffany decides that she's done with dinner and she just stands up and then looks over at Pat and is like, you're going to walk me home? And uh, maybe that would speak also to Tiffany's like perceptiveness, I guess, because she probably it was probably really, really obvious to her that she was being set up on a date or whatever, you know? And yeah. And so she's just like, kind of stands up like I'm done like you want to walk me home because I need to at least show Veronica that I like maybe something's gonna happen so she'll leave me mm-hmm. alone about you know getting with someone else or getting in a relationship with someone else yeah that that's interesting to think about I, I would assume the same thing though that it was for a, ulterior motives for sure of yeah either yeah either getting them together for sure but for Pat to monopolize Tiffany's time. Mm-hmm. Did you notice this is like a subtle thing? Maybe it was just a filming thing. They were filming all day, and and but did you notice that the woman who very, plays Veronica, like she's playing with a baby right at the beginning when Pat comes up from the stairs, and she has like massive pit stains, like hardcore, like she, <laughs> like she's been sweating <laughs> hardcore that whole time. <laughs> did you notice that? I didn't notice that. I wonder if that was intentional or not. <laughs> and I, I, exactly. That's what I'm wondering because I, I either way, like either they were filming for a long time, so it's understandable, but I feel like someone would have noticed that. I would assume that it's intentional. Yeah, that has to have been intentional. Yeah, I would assume that it's intentional probably because she was absolutely nervous because there's two people that she knows has no filter are about yeah. to come into her home. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, she's like, I might have set a bomb off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this could be a terrible thing, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. But that was That would be funny if it was just like an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just had massive pit stains and the actress. What's her name? I don't know. She's like really famous though. I know. She was uh wasn't she's she... in like ten things I hate about yeah. you or whatever, isn't she? Julia Stiles. That's her name. 
Yeah, she's in yeah. 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. Yeah, that would be funny if it was just like oversight and she watches the movie. She's like, what the heck, guys? Like, <laughs> why did you tell me I have massive pit stains? <laughs> <laughs> I did not notice that. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you, it doesn't sound like you're going to be watching it again, but for anyone else, like if you watch that, check that out because it's, it's obvious. It's massive. Like they're massive. <laughs> um. <laughs> Like, how does it even drip that far? <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, it's like the size of like a decent water balloon, like on her armpit. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I do have like an, one of my first questions is like, why would Nikki play their wedding song to cheat on him? I don't know. Maybe it's a kink or something. You think so? Was it, was it she playing it or was it on the radio? It was the CD player, he said. There's the CD player was playing, so she put in a CD. Maybe she just likes it like that. I guess. Either that or she just really... It was just a random CD and she just... Their marriage really means nothing to her at that point that she, it just doesn't even phase her. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I was just like, wow, that is a low... I mean, obviously she wasn't anticipating him coming home early, but... Or was she? You think so? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. He comes home early. Yeah. Like I never do. I think he specifically said. Yeah. So I don't know. That was just like a small question of like, that's messed up. But you know, if maybe she just really doesn't care, I have no idea. Like, it sounds like obviously he had things to work on. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that it's not justified. But. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, and we can maybe talk about this right now, but that whole sort of perspective that Pat has of like, I have to do X and Y thing in order to be loved or have love for my partner. And then he says, like, she has some things that, like, essentially they want to change each other to, like, be the partner that they want the person to be. Yeah. And I'm glad that at the end, Pat moves away from that mindset. Yeah. Because I think it's problematic, you know? Because I think what he says he needs to work on is, like, losing weight and... There's like one other thing. It's like losing weight and getting your temper under control. I don't remember what it is. Well, I mean, there's a there's a couple other things I think as well, and one of them being that, um, and this this comes up when he first meets Tiffany. He compliments her on the dress and says, "Oh, I I want to make sure that you yeah. know that I'm not flirting with you. I'm just doing this to practice like paying compliments because I never did that enough for my wife." Yeah, but yeah, I think he he says he says Nikki's waiting for me to get in shape and get my life together. Then she's gonna be with me. Oh right, that's what he says. Yeah, that's, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think even just the first component of like getting in shape, like there's like a lot we could talk about with that because. That's just really problematic to me that like you, I mean, there's like a fine line between like being attracted to your partner and saying your partner needs to like look a certain way in order for you to like be with them. Like that's really manipulative and like borderline abusive in my opinion. But just the way that Pat says it, you can tell that like, I mean, if there are conditions to someone's love for you, then it's not unconditional. And that I think is really, really hard to love someone who does not love you back in the same way you know yeah it's definitely like not healthy like every everything that has to do with nikki is not healthy Mm -hmm. (laughs) he needs to get as far away from that as possible which is interesting because so many people talk about like oh you need to be in shape so you can be healthy right and it's like okay but maybe like and 
people who are in shape aren't even necessarily healthy, but like, okay, maybe your physical body might be healthy, but like what damage are you doing to your like mental health, your emotional health, your psychic health, whatever it may be. Like, I always find it so interesting when people are like, oh, I need to, you know, get skinny to be healthy, but it's like, okay, but let's talk about like holistic health, you know? And oftentimes I would say people's pursuit of like physical health is very much a net negative for your overall holistic health hmm. because of the way people see like body image and all the all the different things. So I just thought that that was interesting the way he framed it that like he wasn't getting better in his opinion, you know, of like losing weight and getting his life together. He wasn't doing that for himself. He was doing that for Nikki, which is inherently problematic because if you are like doing something for external validation or external approval that's always gonna going to end up mm. like in heartbreak or whatever it may be because you can't control other people's reactions and decisions and so yeah but like i said i'm glad that they sort of move away from that i think that's clearly commentary that they're making that like you have to base your own life choices on internal factors and not external factors that you can't control it's it's also interesting uh, thinking about him and the idea of like wanting to lose weight to get fit for Nikki is obviously he 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 sets a new bar when he's cheated on because he I can't remember who he's talking to exactly but he's he's like flabbergasted that she cheated on him with that one teacher or principal or whatever which when you see him for a brief moment in the film like he's not like the greatest looking client you know he's, he's like average yeah he's like an average looking guy he's not like perfectly in shape he's balding he's whatever you know not the peak male you know physical form yeah. right and so in his mind I'm sure he's kind of twisted it to be like if I'm not as good looking as that guy, you know what I mean? Then I stand no chance. And so he looks at him like I, like for some reason she prefers that guy to me. I need to get way fit. I need to, you know what I mean? I I need to show her that I'm way better looking than those types of people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's interesting to take it that step further. Yeah. I think too, it's really what kind of caught my attention too in this movie is almost every time Pat, is like reintroduced to someone or sees them again after a long time. Almost everyone is like, wow, you look so great. You lost so much weight, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think that there's something to be said there about people avoid talking to Pat about like his quote unquote mental breakdown, but they're so quick to compliment him on all the weight he lost. Right. But both of those things are equally problematic, like not talking to someone is can be just as problematic as like talking to someone about something because like in my opinion commenting on someone about their weight loss and how good they look is really problematic because like 90 something percent of people who lose weight put it back on and then like all of the compliments they got when they were skinny are now like negative in their mind because Mm. they're like oh i'm so much fatter and uglier Mm. or whatever than i was before you know sure so i think that like And I don't know if that was an intentional thing or not, but just the way that all the people in Pat's life talk to him in a way that they think is expected of them, but in reality is actually like exacerbating his own health and stuff. I just, I found that really interesting. That's like a really normal thing to like avoid talking about difficult things and telling people that they look great after all the weight they lost. Like that's very normal. But I think that this movie shows that like even those very simple acts common things are really problematic yeah and coupled with what you're talking about how every time like someone new shows up in the film and they compliment him on his weight every everyone also 
talks about oh i'm sorry i didn't come visit you at the hospital like mm-hmm. you know yeah. every every single and they all have their own i was really busy yeah they they all have their own bogus excuses right and i was trying to think about that of like why like why why was that put in the film like what were they trying to say because of that and the what i what i came up with is just kind of another question like is this a reflection on them because they don't want to admit that they could be associated with a pa- a place like that and therefore messed up in their own way you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i feel like it goes a little deeper like they cuz everyone clearly has their own mental issues but none yeah. of them want to admit that they have it and and it's almost you know this this whole thing of them you know apologizing for never visiting him in 8 months they say in the film Eight months he was mm-hmm. there and no one visited him. Like no one saw him. Not a yeah. single person. Yeah, see, to me, that is commentary of like how society in general sees losing weight as a good thing and going to a mental health institution as a bad thing, mm-hmm. right? That to me is the commentary that's being made. But then the whole movie is sort of making you question that. Like it's making you question all of these assumptions that we have about emotional and physical health. Yeah. Like... Um, and so to me, that's their way of sort of presenting the question of or presenting the sort of expectation that society sees those things as good and bad, respectively. But losing weight isn't inherently good or bad. And going to a mental health institution isn't inherently good or bad either. Right. Like context matters and nuance matters. And these people, every single one of them, regardless of their relationship with Pat, regardless of their own background, they see losing weight as good and going to a mental health institution is bad. And I think that the movie shows us that that's not true. Yeah. Good stuff. (laughs) Sorry. I wanted to ask, we're just kind of a little pressed uh, for time a little bit. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to bring up as well. I guess kind of going along with that, it seems like also, even though Pat was the one that went and, you know, has some pretty major issues and was really violent and whatever and was court mandated to go into the mental hospital even though he has all this stuff and his life has basically crumbled right his marriage is broken he lost the house all this stuff blah 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 every single one of them in my opinion are kind of really selfish or whatever like ronnie doesn't talk to him about his stuff at all right about pat stuff at all it tries to like help him out or anything like that mm-hmm. but it's like oh listen like i need to talk to you about my own stuff and then like every chance that he gets he tells him how much pressure he's under and you know sometimes yeah. i go out in the garage and listen to megadeth and whatever and just <laughs> right all that stuff <laughs> that scene was funny and and also sad and then also like it's you know the football games and mm-hmm. and uh, and Tiffany even like I I like Pat also I need to do this dance thing like she's kind of selfish in her own way although not in my head a little bit to a different degree I don't know I'm trying to think of and then maybe Veronica making herself feel better about herself or I, like viewing Pat as like a just someone that can get Tiffany off her back a little bit. Maybe Mm -hmm. we never really see that, but you know what I mean? Like, I just think it's interesting that all these people that, you know, their lives haven't, you know, crashed all around them. Like Pat's has, they're expecting Pat to like help him or help them. Right. Like, did you get that at all? Yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree with you. Like, Ronnie never as you especially see it with Ronnie he like never really talks to Pat about what's going on in his life you know never referring to the part where you talked about Ronnie saying he goes into the garage and like listens to death metal or whatever it's funny because like Pat who 
his friends and family see him as like the most mentally unstable of them all or whatever he has the appropriate response and is like hey ronnie that's probably not like a healthy sustainable (laughs) like coping mechanism right so it's like pat has an appropriate reaction to that like yeah sure you can go ahead and listen to death metal in your garage that's fine but like you need a long-term solution to this anxiety that you're feeling but i think too it just goes back to me like i think it's very complicated and very nuanced but i think one of the reasons people don't talk to pat about it is that they don't know how to talk to him about it and so they want to fill in that space and just talk about themselves like they're not willing to like sit with pat and be like pat like i'm so sorry this is like got to be so hard for you like how can I help you? They're just like, I don't know how to fill this space and it's really uncomfortable. And so I'm just going to talk about what's going on in my life, whatever. I mean, you have to say that though with a big asterisk because we don't know what the relationships were like for that eight months that he was in the mental health institution or before that. Like maybe they did have really strong heart to hearts, but I would assume they didn't just based on the fact that like Pat is clearly fresh into this transition of out of the mental health institution Mm -hmm. And no one's like, Pat, how are you doing? Like, how can we help you? Like, let's like, what do you need? They're all sort of like seeing Pat as just a person they can talk to about their own problems or to advance their own goals. You know, you particularly see it with the brother who he comes home, sees Pat and immediately starts telling Pat about all the great things happening in his life. It's just like, why do you think that is? I'm because the, the fact that like Pat, after he does that whole thing, Pat's like, I got nothing but love for you, brother. Like, Which is also, I think, a very, again, healthy response. Yeah. Like, I, like Pat is constantly labeled as, like, the most mentally unstable, but he's having some of the healthiest responses to these people's actions, sure. which I think, is again, is commentary of, like, okay, society has labeled him as mentally unhealthy, but, like, how are any of us any more healthy than him? You know, we right. all have our own issues. But yeah. I think, I mean, this is reading a lot into it, but the kind of the vibe I got from the brother is that he's a narcissist or like a borderline narcissist and he takes joy in seeing Pat, like he takes joy in like talking about how great his life is and then right. sort of implying how much better it is than Pat's life. Yeah, that's man. I don't know. They never really get into it too much. The because in my head, it could it mostly goes that way for me. Like probably he is just being an a hole. But also, <laughs> like I wonder if that's just a bit that they do. You know what I mean? Like you know what I mean? like I don't know. It's just weird yeah, because know. they hugged it out and Jake. He didn't look surprised that they hugged it out. It was like he expected them to hug it out right after. Like, he knows I'm just messing yeah. with him. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> it's still pretty messed it's up. It's still though, messed up. But I just yeah. wonder if that's just the nature of their relationship and that's the way it's always been. And it's funny. I don't know. That's the thing is, like, I really like that. I think that this movie does a phenomenal job at, like, portraying interpersonal relationships in a very realistic way. Mm-hmm. They do not craft any of the characters as like one dimensional static characters. They all have a ton of depth to them and they all have a ton of depth in their relationship with each other. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that like uh, his brother is automatically a good guy or a bad guy. I just think that like we're given this interaction and then the director is sort of like you figure out what you want to like 
from this interaction, but it's a very normal family interaction, I would say, you know? So going, going even further with the two brothers, Pat and Jake, the, uh, the director, or at least it was written this way as well, made it very obvious in the film, both at the beginning and at the end, when Pat first comes home, his portrait is on the, the table, the, the entryway table. It's like on the ground or whatever, yeah. Right? And and Jake's portrait is up on the wall, proud, you know, proudly on the wall, blah, blah, blah. And obviously you see Pat and he's thrown off by it because you see his face like, what the heck? Like, why is my why is my portrait on the table? Almost like it's this memorial, like he's dead, right? You know <laughs> what I mean? That's how I took it, at least. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. Right? It's like they lost their boy and he's, you know, this is the memorial table thing or whatever. And yeah, then you, the shrine. And then you, yeah, the shrine. And then you see at the very end, Pat Sr., after he's won his bet, he's going to get his restaurant, he's taking his money from Randy and all that stuff. Pat's portrait is up on the wall, you know, and he's straightening it and everything and making it look good and all that stuff. Did you catch that? I noticed that it was back up on the wall. Yeah. I don't know if I remember seeing him fix it, but I noticed it was back on the wall. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, right at the very end, he's after the competition and everything, he's like fixing it again. And I'm, I don't know, like, do you think the motivation behind that was like, oh, our boy is lost, who knows? Like, there's the memorial and now we're proud of him. Like, he's put himself back up on his feet and... Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think that the movie is just a really complex but accurate portrayal and representation of mental health and the yeah. way that someone with a mental health issue deals with it and also how the people in their life deals with it. Yeah. Like, because like we've been talking about, no one is fully a bad guy or fully a good guy. They're just normal, regular human beings trying to navigate a really hard situation. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think maybe part of it is like, they see, oh, Pat's doing better now. We can take pride in the fact that he's got his life together. But I think that that's problematic as well, right? You should love someone and like be proud of them regardless of like what external check marks they're meeting or what expectations right. they're meeting. Like some people, because of many factors, have to live very different lives. And so you should be proud and love people in your life regardless of what expectations or standards they're meeting you yeah. know so i just think that it makes you sort of ask a lot of questions about mental health and you know loving people that may have mental health issues and like it doesn't really give you answers but it gives a lot for you to explore what do you think yeah i mean I, i'm right there with you i was I was just, yeah, I, I didn't like write down anything in particular about like what they were trying to say with that. Maybe there's like a couple of different things, just like this kind of visual representation of, oh, Pat's like back up on his feet and everything's good. You know, he's he's not fixated on Nikki anymore. He's on his new path that's more healthy and stable and whatever. So there's probably just like that clever kind of visual representation of it. And then, yeah, I think going with what you said, like that is... Because it's Pat Senior that that probably put it down. We don't know for sure, but he's the one that's putting it back up and and mm -hmm. straightening it out and everything. So uh, most likely that's kind of his way of like, oh yeah, everything's good, everything's great. Yeah, I, I, he lost his boy and and uh, now he's back and yeah, but it's like you didn't lose your boy. Like, I know, right? Yeah, but I mean, I think it's a very accurate portrayal. A lot yeah. of people are like so ashamed when they have a family member right. who goes to a mental health institution or has a mental health crisis. And it's like, there's nothing sh shameful about that. Like yeah. it, it, he's getting help. And, but I think it's a very accurate portrayal. Like society just does not 
really know how to cope with and um, help yeah. people going through like mental health crises or yeah. just changes or whatever. It's hard. It's, oh man. Yeah. It's super complex and hard to, to think about. And I think we all need to for sure, like just give each other space and mercy and yeah. And I think, I think that's why I love this movie so much because everyone has something, you know, mm-hmm. everyone has something. And that's the, and that's my biggest takeaway from this, the, from this film. And if, you know, what I've learned from it most that I can carry into my life is that, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not any better or any worse than anyone else. I have my own stuff and so I'm on the same plane, just like they are probably dealing with their own stuff. Even the richest yeah. people are dealing with I mean, you see that with, you know, people that are committing suicide, like Robin Williams. He has a fantastic career, great yeah, family. You never know what's going on. You right? never know what's going on. So you can't put yourself above or below anyone. You just we're all going through our lives at our own speed with our own problems and we all got to deal with it and handle it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like some people need medication to like be at a place that's good for them. Other people don't. And that there's nothing inherently wrong with or better or worse about either situation. It's like Mm -hmm. people just need to be given the space and the freedom to take care of themselves and like be healthy. And then we need to just like show up and love and support those people in our lives. Like regardless, you know, yeah, treating them any differently, you know, I think Mm -hmm. there are than, than other people that you normally would, if you would laugh with other people, but then, you know, not talk to the people that have, you know, quote unquote issues, then I don't think you're doing it right. I wanted to talk about the dance just a little bit. I, I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that too. Yeah. So, is there something in particular that you wanted to ask about? Um, I just wanted to. Th- I think it's clearly like a symbolic moment. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of curious your thoughts on on it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about too because I watched it uh, and I wasn't really thinking about it. I was like, oh, it's the dance, you know. And then uh, I wanted to go back and like, oh, I'm sure they were trying to say something with that dance. And I think because there's three parts to the dance there's three different songs and uh, i don't remember the names of the songs i think one's stevie wonder but and that's the first one but that one seems to be talking mostly about like i think like the opening line is everybody's got a thing or something like something like that right and uh and so i feel like that's just kind of talking about like everyone's got their own thing everyone you know that uh oh what's the second line though that probably speaks more about it do you remember mm-hmm Dang, I should have I should have written that down, but I don't know. It was just kind of telling me a little bit about I don't know. Everyone's got their own issues. Everyone's got their own problems, and that's when Tiffany and Pat really. Uh, that's when they they bond with each other for the first time over their issues and like their medications that they were taking and and stuff like that. And you know, this is the first time that I think that you really see Pat like you know kind of laughing and like making jokes and stuff like that is when they're talking about that. And so I feel like that first song kind of talks about the the beginning of their little relationship and then the second one is talking about falling in love with a girl and it's crazy and you know all sporadic and all that stuff and I I think that's all I I think the whole dance routine and all the songs are are talking about their relationship and where it started and where it got to and obviously the very end you have you know just that that sweet you know nice little song and and uh 
And I think in particular, what I think is so brilliant about the last song, the last part of the dance, is the the big move, right? And the dirty dancing. Yeah, and and she jumps on him, but her crush is just in his face, and they're fumbling <laughs> it's like around. Super awkward. <laughs> and it's super awkward, and that's what gets them lower scores than they probably would have gotten. But but they still end up getting the five out of ten. But but. What's great, what I think is so brilliant about that is how messy it is. Mm-hmm. But when he's bringing her back down, they they still look at each other like they're fully in love and committed to each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which yeah. tells me that like they they are going to work out or whatever. Like They love mm-hmm. each other. They're committed to each other. And like they accept each other and their flaws. And their, and their flaws, messiness. yeah, and their messiness. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Tiffany even says that at some point. Like She loves... I love my mess. Like I love the messy parts about me, blah, blah, blah. And I think, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 when, if you really dissect that dance routine, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, no, I completely agree with all that. I just think that like also the, like putting sort of like the crazy dance scene in the middle of these like sort of yeah. more, these like fancier dances or whatever, like yeah. that's also very symbolic as well. Right. Of like, I don't know this whole movie, especially as we were talking about Veronica and her need to sort of present a, an image to the world like yeah i think that this a lot of this movie is talking about how everyone likes to pretend that like nothing's going wrong and nothing's bothering us and like everything's fine yeah. like to the outside world but everyone inside is sort of like freaking out all the time and we're all messy and gross and stuff and pat and tiffany who are seen as like the most broken of all of the characters they're the like most free and the I mean, I, I like the most free because they accept that messiness and they embrace that messiness and they know that like no one is perfect. They're not perfect. They're just here to do this dance, have a fun time, you know, win this bet or whatever. Yeah. But like people just should enjoy life. Like life is messy. Life is hard. And like we shouldn't make it any harder by trying to pretend that everything is perfect, yeah. you know? So I just think that that's kind of a message. One of the many messages is like, People are imperfect, people are complicated, people are messy, and like we need to embrace those things instead of hiding them and running away from them. Um, embrace them, work through them, and just like be there for people when they need us. Absolutely. Perfectly said, Big T. Time's up. <laughs> I, I, I still have like a little bit more that I could probably talk about. But I know, me too, but I think we covered most of the stuff. Yeah, we covered a lot of the, the big stuff, so it's great. Go to therapy. Take medicine if you need it. Yeah. Don't be ashamed. And and don't be ashamed of other people. Do what you need to do to be healthy and live your best life. And that's going to look different than what everyone else has to do. That's right. And that's fine. Wonderful. Brilliant. All right. Great. Well, that was Silver Linings Playbook. Again, to me, I think it's a masterpiece. Big T thinks it's just good. But even though <laughs> even though it is a masterpiece. Uh Anyway, but if you uh, got through the entire episode without watching the movie, I don't know why you do that. Go ahead and watch it on AMC Plus or uh, buy or rent it. It's on It's on YouTube TV too, I think. Oh, is it really? Oh, I think so. Okay, well, there you go. There's also that. Yeah, Big T, you're the one picking the movie for next month. Have you picked a film? I have. Lay it on me. We are going to watch Dragon Wars. No, get out of here. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just Dragon kidding. Wars, get out no, of here. No, we are going to watch A Simple Favor. Oh, you, I think you mentioned this a while ago. Yeah, I've referenced it a few times. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Blake Lively, Anna Kendrick. Right. It's a great movie. If you've never watched it, don't watch a preview for it. Just go into it. 
Blind? All right. Yeah, I've, I went into it blind when I saw it. Yeah. The trailer, if you watch a trailer, the trailer doesn't really show you anything. Right, yeah. I really loved it. It's like one of my favorite types of genres. I think it's done really well. Um, I think it's available on Peacock for free, but if not, <laughs> buy it. Don't rent it because you'll want to watch it again. Nice. And it's a good um, Halloween month spooky season movie. Oh, yeah, shoot. Yeah, good job. Yeah. I think I forgot about that. <laughs> We ran into that problem last time, huh? Yeah. So it'll, it'll get your spooky season off to a good start. Nice. Sweet. A simple start with a simple favor. There you go. Sure. Beautifully I, said. Yeah, great. Uh, rated R, of course. Remember to check out the, the IMDb, uh, whatever whatever it's called, the Parents' parental Guide. Parental Guidance. Yeah, Parental Guides. Uh, to see what your... <laughs> Again, after after The Shining, I, strong, the shining, I strongly yeah. urge you to check that out. Good stuff. All right, so we'll be checking that out. And, of course, that episode will be coming up on October 3rd. So that'll be the first Monday of that month. There you go. Layers of Film, episode 13 in the books. Thanks so much for listening. Of course, we're on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Layers of Film Pod. And you can uh, message in to layersoffilmpod at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments on there. And uh, don't forget to rate us on any podcast streaming or uh, service that you have. Rate us five. If you're going to rate us under five, don't even bother. Yeah, either. Yeah, no, none of this in between. Either five or one or, or nothing. No, just five. <laughs> no ones. <laughs> All right. At least leave a reason if you do do a one. Don't do a one. Just don't do a one. We'll find you. We have the time. Rate us five no matter what. But if you didn't like it and you rated it five anyway, at least give us the reason so that we know what we can work on. Of course, we're trying to work on. Or rate it five and say, I actually don't think this is a five. But That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Just leave, oh, oh, just gotcha. leave the comment that you don't think it's a five. But at... Or just don't. Just don't tell me what you don't like about it and pretend like it's everything's fine. You know, just don't rate us at all. <laughs> just don't rate us at all. We can't handle it. We can't handle it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Find us on Venmo or Cash App instead. Send us some money. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely under Venmo as Big T. Uh, <laughs> all right, cool. Well, until next time, I don't have a catchphrase. Whatever. Have a great month, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll catch you guys later. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye-bye.